Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is episode 11 with Dr. Libby Weaver. Welcome to the Alternatively Healthy Podcast. I am your host, Becky Rabin, personal trainer, wellness coach, and founder of online wellness magazine, Alternatively Healthy. This is your high vibe, soul soothing weekly dose of wellness. Each week, I will be getting up close and personal, bringing you conversation and insight with some of the wellness industry's most renowned health practitioners, coaches, experts, and thought leaders from around the world. Through our podcast, we hope to give you all the information, resources, and tools that you need to help shape the healthiest and happiest version of you. Dr. Libby Weaver is an internationally acclaimed nutritional biochemist, author, and speaker. She holds a Bachelor of Health Science majoring in nutrition and dietetics and a PhD in biochemistry with 19 years experience in clinical practice. In today's episodes, we cover the symptoms and illnesses we face when our hormones are out of balance from the busy lives we lead, the science behind how our body changes under the pressure of stress, the change in women's health over the past 10 years, and the phases of response in the body to stress. We also cover the role stress and adrenaline plays on our digestive system and ability to break down food, as well as the role it plays with our weight loss journeys. Are you living a life that is back-to-back, under constant pressure and stress with a busy schedule? Do you have a never-ending to-do list and a ton of unread emails? Or are you putting immense pressure on yourself to eat in certain ways and to work out and hit a certain aesthetic? What if we told you these might be the exact reason you could be struggling to lose weight, crave sugar, or suffering with hormone imbalances? In this episode, we uncover it all and get to the bottom of it. Hi, Becky. Hi, Libby. How are you? Thank you. How are you? I'm really, really good. Thank you. So glad to speak to you and so glad to have you today. Oh, thank you. That's really kind. Thank you so much. It's been such a long time coming and it's been something I've been so excited about doing for such a long time. (laughs) Oh, you were lovely. Thank you. What time is it there for you? 5.30 in the afternoon. Oh, fine. Oh, I miss Australia. I was there for Christmas and it was just absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah, it's a great time of year to be here yeah, at Christmas. I bet. Yeah. Well, we had bad weather actually when we were there, but it was absolutely amazing. Uh, whereabouts did you go? So we did Whit Sundays, we did Byron Bay, Bondi Beach, we did Sydney, uh-huh. Melbourne, we did it all. I was there for like a yeah. month doing it all. It was just absolutely incredible. Changed my life, I have to say. 
did it. Yeah, um, I needed that like so whole it's... month out of just life and work. And yeah, just so, figuring so out. special. Yeah. Well, I am super, super happy to have you on board today because I have to say your publisher put me in contact with you and I've been working quite closely with Hay House. And when I read the book, Rushing Women's Syndrome for me, kind of like changed my life. I had so many aha moments of the never ending to do list kind of, for me, it was like, I keep sharing it on my social channels as well. And people are just going mad for it because I think you've made such a connection that nobody's really made. Oh, thank you. It's yeah, incredibly <laughs> kind of you to say. I hope it's useful. It's something I started to observe in women yeah, yeah, a while back and it was a big change that was occurring in women's health and I wanted to understand why. So Yeah, yeah please do explain to anyone that hasn't read it because I've obviously read it and I think for me there were so many moments in it that I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. So I am extremely busy. I run three businesses, but I also suffer from IBS, food intolerances and like quite bad hormone imbalances as well. So for me, it was such a huge moment of, oh my God, my life needs to massively change here. And this healthy life I'm leading and living is clearly not that healthy. So for anyone that's listening that hasn't read the book, firstly, I guess, what was your inspiration behind the book and kind of a brief overview of what it's about for everyone? Yeah, so I noticed a distinct change in women's health probably yeah, about a decade ago. So so I went to uni for 14 years. I did nutritional dietetics and then honours and then a PhD in biochemistry. So there's a lot of science in my background. But I've worked with people one-on-one for 20 years now and certainly for the first probably eight or ten of those years, women had, you know, turn up on time mostly. They were calmer. You know, of course, still were coming to me with health challenges, but I noticed a real change about 10, 12 years ago and so many women were running late. They'd burst through the door. Yeah. Just because they juggled a lot of things before they even got there, they didn't leave enough time to get a car park, so then they're stressed that they're going to miss out on their appointment. And then, of course, coupled on top of that were all the health challenges that were just becoming more and more distinct and, and almost deeper into women's experiences. So with massive challenges with PMS, with heavy, clotty, painful periods, with mood swings in the lead up to their periods. Now, obviously, women have experienced those things for a long time, but it certainly felt like it became more intense. And I was yeah. certainly seeing it more, you know, if it was three in 10 women 20 years ago, it was sort of eight out of 10 women started sort of from 10 years ago. And then as you said, the IBS, the intermittent bouts of diarrhea and constipation, the constantly bloated stomach, not really understanding which foods are causing that. Usually there are some foods, but I think very few people understand the stress response to the level to know just how dramatically the stress response actually impacts on digestive system function and that, you know, addressing food is incredibly important. It's a huge part of what I do, huge part of my work. But if you don't also address the stress response, you still can feel like you're only 50% of the way there with dealing with the bloated stomach. Then the sleep problems, the recurring headaches, it is for some people, skin breakouts, and just a real almost feeling like you're missing something significant in life, almost like a joy that's, that's yeah. missing. So you like what you do, but there's the, almost it's hard to be present sometimes because these anxious feelings can be overwhelming. And 
I can explain all of that biochemically if we want to go down that road. Yeah. So but I think that's what makes it so interesting in your book that is that you're not just another person, I guess, putting your input in. You're actually backing it up with science. So I have to say, when I first read it, I found it quite hard at first because I actually come from a sporting background. I'm a personal trainer. So when you were talking about the different nervous systems and everything, I was getting that. But I was thinking, God, if someone hasn't ever read this before. But I think that's what we almost need is that we need that science because... I quite often am really open on my Instagram and my social media platforms about the books that I'm reading and, you know, what I'm going through. Because for me, last year, I got told that I had really low estrogen and low SFH, is it? Yeah. And I put that up on my Instagram and I, every time I put things up on like little snippets of your book up, it kind of goes crazy. Like I never really get any more messages than what I already do of people being like, oh my God, what is this book? I've just bought it. Like my hormones are all over the place because I think it's something that people don't necessarily talk openly about as much. And it's perhaps something that they keep to themselves when they start seeing or they don't necessarily connect that everything's connected, I guess. And like, I know that your second book, we'll get onto that. Which has just come out, hasn't it, in the UK anyway? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so we'll get onto that because they link obviously really nicely together. But I know that from off the back of the book, you've kind of created this thing called the rushing women's syndrome. So what kind of things are people experiencing if, you know, they're really busy? What kind of things fall into that category? So what symptoms can they kind of be facing? Yeah, so I think it's important that people understand I'm not suggesting it's a new medical condition. It was the name I gave to my book out of just purely observing a massive change in women's health. So there are three stages to the stress response. The first part of it is what we call the alarm phase, and that's when adrenaline is high. So for the science suggests that humans have been on the planet for about 150,000 years, and for all of that time, adrenaline has communicated to the body that our life is in danger. Yeah. So in modern times, thankfully, we're relatively safe, but what leads the human body to make adrenaline these days, some of your listeners aren't going to want to hear this, but it's caffeine yeah. and also our perception of pressure and urgency, and really to some extent worrying about what other people think of us, which we'll get into that in a second. But whatever it is that makes adrenaline, the body hasn't yet learned to decipher adrenaline you make. For example, if a car drives out in front of you and you've suddenly got a slam on your brakes, or the adrenaline you make because you've had six coffees and you've got 400 new unopened emails in your inbox, it's all the same to the body. So the body's then got to fight or run away. So the fight or flight response kicks in. And to do that, your blood pressure elevates. Mm -hmm. Uh, and for some people then the drop back down again can be to lower blood pressure so real either constantly elevated high blood pressure or massive blood pressure fluctuations and then the second thing is the digestive system challenges so the blood supply that's normally so fantastic to the digestive system is diverted away from digestion to the periphery to the arms and the legs because that's what's going to power us to get out of the danger so the last thing when you're making all that adrenaline the last thing your body wants for you is to be thinking about food it wants you to be focused on getting out of danger not your next meal so it's, it's a survival mechanism And then the third major shift that happens in our biochemistry when we're in this sympathetic nervous system dominance, in this stress response with this elevated adrenaline, and for some of the listeners, this will be the biggest takeout, it changes the fuel that your body perceives is safe and appropriate for you to use. So in any given moment, the body is making a decision whether to use glucose or fat as its fuel. Most of the time, we're using a combination of both, and it's predominantly the nervous system that's deciding whether we should use more body fat as a fuel or burn more glucose. Mm -hmm. And obviously, when we're in this fight or flight response, the body wants you to get out of danger as quickly as possible, and it needs a fast-burning fuel to help you get out of that danger. 
So the fast burning fuel is glucose. So I have literally met thousands of women now who gradually over time slowly lose the ability to use body fat effectively as a fuel because their body is constantly getting the message due to this stress response that it's better and more appropriate for them to use glucose as a fuel. And of course, if you're mostly using your glucose, your clothes get tighter, your energy starts to massively fluctuate, your moods start to fluctuate and you crave more sugar to top up the fuel tank. So that's a really vicious cycle for a lot of women and a big part of what I describe in rushing woman syndrome. And I think that for me, I guess with the, obviously with the magazine, we speak to women on kind of all ages. There's not really an age to our magazine because we speak to people in different levels with Alternatively Healthy. But I guess with my own personal Instagram and social media platform, a lot of the girls that are, I guess, anywhere between 18 to 30 to 35 let's say with some kind of older women following and what's so interesting is that's actually the snippet that I put up yesterday about in order to like be healthy and get healthy you need to be healthy first I think you say that in your book don't you in order to actually lose weight you need to be healthy in yourself first and I put up that element of the fact that your body will choose sugar over fat and I think there's been this huge phenomenon and I guess from the area I come in is exercise. So I've PT'd girls for years. I've seen hundreds of girls come to me. And actually, not only are they like busy and stressed with their work life, perhaps, they're also cramming in these really, really intense workouts five or six times a week that are all hit kind of principles. But not only are they stressing their body in that way, they're also stressing their body about stressing about going to the gym or stressing if they don't go to the gym or stressing if they miss the gym session or stressing about having that amazing body. And do you think that there's a massive link here between the rise of girls in that kind of age group with hormone imbalances, polycystic ovaries, endometriosis and just general hormone kind of issues, all the symptoms you're saying and this link with the kind of growth of high intensity exercise? It is if the rest of their life is stressful. So our body was never designed to live in this elevated state, in this sympathetic nervous system dominance that often a stressful or busy life puts us into. If your life is already like that, then usually the exercise you need is more restorative. And certainly strength building, like, you you know, muscle mass is incredibly important to our longevity, to our mitochondrial function, to having great energy, to keeping warm, to our immune function. But the real intensity stuff, I think so much of the concept of exercising intensely is almost like the aftermath of the calorie equation being the only thing that impacts body shape and size. So I think there's a lot of younger women who are in the aftermath of what their mothers grew up believing, which is not true, that the only thing that impacts body shape and size is how much you eat versus how much you burn off. And it's a dangerous mindset. It's not a healthy mindset because when we live like that, it's all about how little we can eat, about deprivation and then about how much we can crush ourselves with exercise and that is a recipe for depletion it's a recipe for hormone imbalances it's a recipe for even more stress inside the body so Mm. if someone you know doesn't do a lot during the day then a hit session is probably a great thing for them yeah but that's not going to be the majority of the girls that that you're seeing or who are listening they'll be you know high achievers they work hard they want to look after themselves and I think there's a real misnomer out there that looking after ourselves involves annihilating ourselves so there's a transition has to happen in education and I think a big question is to say what do you want from your body both now and in the future and we want a highly functional body and to have a functional body we need amazing energy we need strength to carry our groceries to carry potentially children in the future so you need a lovely strong body you need flexibility so that you can turn your head when you drive your car put your own shoes on you know we need a, a really functional body and so I think shifting our thinking to 
how do I nourish my body, nurture my body so that it gives me great performance both now and in the future is a far better question than how do I smash out and burn off yeah. a pile of calories. And I think that's the way, I mean, that's what we're all about at Alternatively Healthy is kind of getting people to see like, you know, what do you want your body for? How do you want to use it? And instead of being like, what does it look like all the time? And it's really interesting because the stress that actually goes into people's minds when you tell them to switch up their exercise. So a lot of people were like messaging me like, because I were talked about how for me, I was actually working three jobs. I was still working full time and I was still building my business and PTing. And then I was PTing girls, but also who training girls, but also training myself. And I completely crashed. The universe actually threw me off my feet and I hurt myself so much so that I couldn't work out for six weeks. And in that time during all my MRIs, they then found like shadowing on my ovaries. And then that's when I found out about all of my hormones. And it was a real life changing moment because the doctor was like to me, if you don't change this, like you're really going to struggle to have children. And that's kind of the moment I had, but I had so many people messaging me yesterday, like, but if I give up exercise or I slow it down, I'm worried that my body will change. And I guess from a scientific point of view to like give them the courage to know that it won't, what's your take on it? Because for me, I then changed my whole training program and my regime. I actually had some time out and I came back to it this year with a lot more of a restorative kind of mindset. I do a lot more Pilates and yoga and I like allowed my body to rest. I tested it myself and I slowed down the amount of times I was working out. I tried not to do it the moment I woke up in the morning anymore. I didn't rush out the door to go to the gym. I didn't try and cram it in. What's interesting is now I've gone back to kind of slowly upping the intensity like slowly and I'm noticing my changes in my even though that's not my mindset anymore like my actual bodily changes are changing I'm really seeing a difference in my body and I didn't for five years of working at that high intensity see any changes and all of a sudden my body is immensely transforming but that's just me giving my example so I guess from a scientific point of view in the background how can you like give ladies reassurance that if they do perhaps take some time out their bodies will thank them for it yeah, so thrilled to hear that that was your experience, yeah. Becky, and it's my own experience as well. It's what I've seen in so many women now as well. So scientifically what's gone on behind the scenes is when we go at an all with intensity, so when you're in, in your previous way of living, when you're bound out of bed first thing in the morning and zoom off or when people zoom off after work with that stressful feeling of if I don't get there, I might not fit into my jeans on the weekend. With that sort of mindset, you are predominantly going to be burning glucose over fat just because your nervous system is in sympathetic nervous system dominance. Yeah. If the body does not perceive it is safe for you to use more body fat as a fuel when you have all of that high circulating level of adrenaline. It's just we can't fight that biological response. Yeah. So when we embrace some kind of breath-focused practice, so Pilates, yoga, restorative yoga, Tai Chi, but particularly yoga and Pilates, the benefit obviously with yoga and Pilates is you do the breath focus part of it, which activates the calm arm of the nervous system, but you're also strengthening muscles, which is so fantastic for your metabolic rate. Yeah. So they'll take a step back so that this is nice and clear. With the nervous system, there's different parts to it. And what we're talking about is a thing called the autonomic nervous system. Now, people don't need to remember all the big, long, silly words, yeah. but with the autonomic nervous system, you can't instruct it. You can't say, slow down. You can't say, burn more fat. You can't say, oh, I've cut my hand, you know, heal it in one hour, please. Yeah. There's parts of our body that we can't boss around. 
They're all the processes that the autonomic nervous system drives. And there are two branches to the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, which is that fight or flight response that we've just talked about. Mm. And then the opposite arm is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest, digest, repair, reproduce arm of the nervous system. And I call it the green zone. But because we can't instruct it, we can't just say, oh, just chill out when you've had a couple of coffees and you've got all these unopened emails. You can't just override the information that's in your blood because when you've got all that circulating adrenaline, the body literally thinks your life's in danger. So your thoughts can't say, no, no, we're cool, we're safe. The body thinks your life's in danger. So the only thing that science currently knows that will activate that calm arm of the nervous system is to extend the length of our exhalation. Wow. And so let's say we have a desk job, as so many people do these days. So we're sitting at a computer. If you perceive that you have pressure to look after people, people to pressure to get back to clients in a prompt manner, if you perceive that there's pressure in your day and you're probably drinking a couple of coffees, you're going to be living in sympathetic nervous system activation yeah. all day. So predominantly giving the body the message that it needs to burn glucose as its fuel and you're breathing in a short, sharp, shallow way in the top of your chest. That's adrenaline that's behind that, even mm-hmm. though you're perfectly mm-hmm. safe. So then if you go and exercise in the same way, breathing intensely, short, sharp, shallow breaths, you still predominantly burn glucose. You still aren't communicating safety to the body. Whereas when in your experience, what you've transitioned across to is using your body fat far more effectively as a fuel because with the breath work, when you move your diaphragm, so inhale through your nostrils and your belly sticks forward, exhale through your nostrils and your belly shrinks back towards your spine, so that real yoga type breathing, when you breathe like that, you move your diaphragm and when you do that, you communicate to every cell in your body that you're safe because you'd never be able to breathe like that if your life was really in danger. So we use our body fat more effectively as a fuel when we do that slower breathing because the body is getting the message that we're safe and fat is a slower burning fuel than glucose. I get people to imagine it like a fire. We throw petrol on the fire, boom, bang, it's gone. You need more petrol to keep it going. That's like glucose in your body. That if we put wood on the fire, lovely slow burn, consistent even energy, it burns away. That's like using our body fat effectively as a fuel. That's so interesting. And I guess that's also why, I mean, for me, something I really implemented this year and was like super strict on, like it's non-negotiable pretty much every day, is meditation. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's changed my absolute life. And I think in the UK here, we are very, very conscious of it because we are very, very conscious of the spiritual side of it people think it has to be something other than just like deep breathing and this is what I say to most of my clients is like it really doesn't need to be like the gym where you're like well what's right who should I do it how should I do it what's the best way to do it and it really is just about breath work isn't it it's that principle which is so interesting to hear it actually from a scientific perspective as well as the spiritual kind of readings and stuff that I've learned it's so amazing to hear what it actually does to your body and the ability to burn and store fat. It's crazy. Mm. You mentioned when you were previously talking as well about what people think of us. And I guess what comes with that is what we think of ourselves as right. Mm-hmm. What kind of effect does that have on us and our ability to kind of stay healthy? Yeah, so I love this part. There's three pillars to my work, which is the biochemical, the nutritional and the emotional. Yeah. And this, I guess, really bridges all three of them because when I pause to think about 
and please know that I'm not talking about trauma. I'm talking about stress, like the everyday stresses that people, yeah. you know, say bother them, like their emails or running late. And yeah. Because I try and follow everything to its very end so that I can understand it and support people about what it's really about. And so when they'd say to me, oh, I get so stressed about my emails or I get so stressed about my to-do list or running late, I paused to think and thought it can't be, I'll pick on running late, it can't be the running late that's actually stressing them out because what is that really? And it made me stop to realise that when we say we're stressed, it's almost like the achiever's word for fear. Yeah. But we just don't go around saying, oh, I'm really frightened of my emails or, you know, it's just we don't use those language patterns. Yeah. What I realized is that, you know, when people get into those stressed out states, if they can pause and pull the curtain back on it, what stresses most people out, what frightens most people is what other people think of them. And so when we get into those situations, if we can see it for how it really is, rather than just reciting to ourselves over and over again, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed, you might notice that you only stress out about running late for a handful of people, not everybody. So you can have a different conversation with them if that's the case, but Certainly, if I look back into history, not very far, when I was growing up, you sort of cared about what maybe five or ten people thought of you, maybe your parents or a teacher that you thought was particularly cool or your best friends. You sort of worried about what maybe five or ten people thought of you, whereas now people care about what strangers think of them, predominantly because of social media. You know, people worry so much about how they're going to be perceived. And the more people we allow into that circle of concern of, you know, allowing them to have any kind of impact over us of what they think of us, the more stress we're going to experience. And so to your point, we can look at the people that we allow into our lives like that and we're human. We're always going to worry about what people think of us. But if you can cull the list to be, you know, five or ten rather than thousands, that can really help with the stress response. Mm. But certainly, and to your point, Becky, cultivating a lovely rich sense of belief in yourself is just as important in this. And it's the juiciest part of my work. It's become really my favorite part of my work these days because it's ultimately where the change happens. And lots of people talk about self-love, but to truly experience it again, I think is game-changing for the way we're able to look after ourselves. So the way I tend to explain it to people is that very early on when you're first learning about psychology, you're taught that humans will do more to avoid pain than they'll ever do to have pleasure. And that makes sense when you think about the way humans as a species have evolved, we'll always, you know, escape from danger before we'll have a rest or get our dinner. We've always got to escape from the danger first. And so when people say to me, Libby, I'll do anything to lose weight, for example, I believe that they believe that that's true, but weight loss is their pleasure. And the way that they live is they make choices that help them to avoid pain. It's just in this day and age, there's not really the physical pain to avoid. It's more emotional pain. So essentially our greatest fear is that we're not enough. And if we're not enough, then we won't be loved. And that's not some hippie la-la psychological construct thing. It's hardwired into that autonomic nervous system, that part of our nervous system that we can't boss around. It's hardwired in there that love is essential for our survival because as human babies, someone has to care enough about us to give us, to meet our basic needs, to give us food and clothing and shelter so that we can survive, whereas other animals can survive on their own right from the get-go. So it's hardwired in there from the minute we're born that we need love to survive. And it's just that as adults, we know that a life with love in it is really delicious, but on a physical level, we can get our own food and clothing and shelter so we can live without it. It's just that most people never really, truly 
understand that. So they live their life always in the pursuit of trying to get other people's approval, to get love from other people. Because if you pull the curtains back on so many of our choices and our actions, it's so that people like us or love us or so that we fit in or that people think we're great. But we don't often see the true motivation behind it. And I often feel that people have a word or a number of words plastered across their forehead that is part of their identity. You know, people have a way that they need to be seen. So some of the words might be they need to be seen as kind or thoughtful or energetic or inspirational or intelligent or strong, independent, funny. You know, they're just some of the words that have come out in the sessions that I've done. And we will do anything, and I mean anything, including sacrifice our health, which is what rushing women do. We will do anything to stay true to that identity. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. To ensure that other people see us like that. So when we understand that that's essentially what we're doing, we're simply trying to stay true to our identity. You know, we run ourselves ragged trying to keep other people happy because it's more important that they like us. It's more important that they see us in this way that we've constructed. But it's constructed. It's not who we really are. And when we try to live like that, it's incredibly exhausting. But we do this beautiful inner work to see that we are all those traits already and essentially get back in touch with the love that we are. So that's a huge part of the work that I do. Which is also, again, for me, so incredible to hear because I think there's a lot of spiritual talk. There's a lot of work that I do with a lot of the contributors for the site who are all talking about self-love and being enough. But it's so, again, interesting to hear you say how important that is when you're coming from such a scientific background too and a lot of the work that you do is obviously science-based so it's so amazing that you are one of the only people I've spoken to that's really bridging that science and that need to feel enough together because it's kind of like at the moment it seems like the doctors are doing that one side of it you know I've been to Mm -hmm. so many doctors about 
my hormones and about my stomach and about my food intolerance and to them everything's different everything's not connected and everything's not really an issue who in that way and then you know I speak to my contributors and my colleagues who are like you know what it's all about loving yourself enough and giving yourself more time and it's so incredible to hear someone say they actually affect each other I do want to touch on the kind of the food side of things and the nourishing your body and in a way that's like non-restrictive. You know, for years I restricted my food. I counted calories. I counted my macros. I was trying to hit a protein count of 134 grams of protein a day and... And I know I'm speaking with so many people that are listening and so many women that are listening, you know, whether they're very still old school with it and just like the basic, you know, calories in, calories out. I'm going to starve myself. I'm going to cut things out for a short holiday. What does that do to our body when we're playing around with our food so much and being so restrictive? How does that affect our energy levels? How does it affect our hormones? The first thing it does is it slows metabolism down, which is the exact opposite to what you want it to do. Yeah. Because the body doesn't understand that you have a choice about whether you do that or not. The body is wired to live through famines, and so it just thinks that there's no food left in the world. So when that occurs, we actually make an enzyme that breaks muscles down, and as our muscles start to break down, we lose energy, and we usually notice that. And so with less muscle mass as well, your body fat levels start to go up. This is a massive reason why diets don't work in the long term. So with that restriction comes, and with less muscle mass, less mitochondrial function comes an increase in body fat. So your clothes start to get tighter and no one can sustain a place of deprivation. No one can live like that. When you're on a diet and it's all about restrictions, yeah, that place of deprivation is not sustainable for anyone Mm -hmm. and nor is it healthy because when you're on a diet, it's all about what you can't eat and how much you feel like you've got to work intensely with exercise. So very depleting and, yeah, not at all nourishing, not at all focused on health. (laughs) Yeah, no, at all. And I guess there's obviously the effects that it has on your body from a perspective of what you just said, but what about also the kind of stress that people are adding to their life by stressing about their food? It's not normal to think about your food all day long every day, is it? No, that's right. So a good question for people to ask, because it's obviously very confusing for people, So a good question to ask, I think, is before someone eats something, if they want their own inner guidance to kick in, is will this nourish me? And mostly the main reason that we have to eat is to stay alive because we need the vitamins and the minerals, we need the micronutrients that are in food to drive all of the biochemical pathways inside of us that actually create energy, that create how we look and feel and function every single day. In literally every single second, there are billions of biochemical reactions going on inside of us and vitamins and minerals are needed to drive just about all of them. So when we don't eat enough, we usually become deficient in certain micronutrients. So things like iron and zinc deficiency, magnesium deficiency are incredibly common, particularly Mm. with people who food restrict. And when that happens, the biochemical pathways inside our body don't work efficiently. And depending on which pathways are impacted upon, that can have major ramifications both immediately that you notice and also down the track. We want to be focused on eating whole and real food. So yeah. it's the whole real food that gives us all of the nutrients that we need to drive all those inner workings. Yeah. So when there's something in front of us and you say, well, this nourish me, you mostly want to be focused on the nutritional value that it's giving you, the vitamin and the mineral content, those micronutrients that are going in. But I do think that every now and again, you need to say, will this nourish me from the perspective of your soul? Because 
that's how you stop yourself from getting obsessed with perfection because perfection is just a mask that fear wears. Mm. It's about what we consistently do that creates our level of health, the way we look, the way we feel, the way we're able to function. It's what we do every day. It's not what we do occasionally. So when you say, well, this nourished me and let's say you've turned up to your best friend's house on a Friday night and maybe she's had her heart broken and so you order takeaway and get stuck into drinking who knows what, the last thing you want to be worrying about is you know, what you've just eaten because you're not there for that. You're there to connect with her, make her happy again, help her forget about, you know, the heartbreak, support her through that. And the last thing you want to do then is the next day think, oh, my goodness, I ate this and this and this and drank this. I've got to now go and smash myself at the gym because that's healthy. That's that's incredibly depleting and can be very destructive in the long term. So Mm -hmm. every now and again, I think when we say, well, this nourishment needs to be about nourishing our soul, which is something that happens obviously with great connections. And again, there's something that I did this year. I got rid of my training programs, but I also got rid of any kind of food restrictions apart from I am severely dairy intolerant. So that is just one thing I restrict myself on. But I got rid of all of the rules almost. And I literally just ate when I felt hungry. I didn't think, you know what, I have to eat at seven o'clock because it's breakfast time. If I was hungry one day at seven o'clock, then I would always have breakfast. But you know, there were kind of the rules all went out the window for me. And I found it really, really, really helped where I was just nourishing my body with food it enjoyed and food it liked, obviously being conscious of knowing what's healthy and what's not really. If everyone asks themselves, they kind of know now what, you know, they don't want to eat processed food from McDonald's. It's not going to be good for you. We're kind of all educated in that sense. But I think that was something I really noticed was that I just kind of let go a little and started eating intuitively rather than when I was told to or how much I was told to or how little I was told. And again, on the self-love, I think as you touched on, social media is definitely a big part of my world. And I guess I've gone through my love for it and my hate for it. And I have to just always choose my love for it. Because at the end of the day, if you can help one person through your platform, then you've done an amazing thing that day. So I try to see social media in that sense instead of for the other sense. I guess the whole reason I built Alternatively Healthy was to bring a pool of credible experts together who are genuinely in this to help people and put them all into one place where it's not so confusing for all audiences anymore and they can really trust that what's coming is expert advice that's also a little bit more modern and a little bit more ahead of the game and a little bit more mindful and spiritual on the fact and recently I did an event and I had four of my contributors on a panel and it was so interesting because one of them's an anxiety and hypnotherapy expert one of them is an expert in healing your relationship with food from kind of more of a spiritual mindset perspective one is a love coach And then I was talking about exercise. And what was so fundamentally interesting is that we were all coming at different elements. We deal with girls coming to us for different reasons. Yet our response to when people were asking questions in the audience, it all fundamentally came down to how much do you love yourself? Do you love yourself enough to go on dates with guys that respect you? Do you love yourself enough to go to the gym because you love your body, not because you hate it or nourish it with the food that you deserve to keep you alive and keep you healthy and keep you feeling well? And that's what was so interesting is that four of us were coming from different elements of work and everyone was saying but if I stop going on those dating apps or I stop going out in places where I could meet a guy or if I give up going to the gym six times a week my anxiety raises so it was so interesting for people to say that when they have those relationships with food exercise or other people their anxiety raises and like heightens when they're letting go because they can't let go 
And that was so interesting for me. And the first time I really saw it, and you know, all these podcasts I'm doing, I'm speaking to different people all over from different walks of life, doing different things when it comes to health. And everyone's saying the same thing. And fundamentally, it comes down to how much you love yourself and believe in yourself. And don't you love the synchronicity of that? And Becky, also, you know, when you go through a health crisis, a health challenge as you have, and then out the back end of it, not only your own choices change, but it becomes one of the greatest gifts you ever experienced because look at what has been born from, you know, something that was very confronting, very confusing, such incredible beauty and gifts for other people come through in the world. So it's gorgeous what you've created as a result of your own experience. And again, I think that's a mindset thing, isn't it? About knowing that everything you face, there's a reason behind it and there's a growth there to happen. And I think that's the thing is I'm seeing a lot of girls, you know, they come to me and they're panicking of work or letting go or doing this and it's because they can't see that whatever they are going through perhaps might lead them to better things and I guess just going back to talking about this heightened was it the SNS dominance you say is that right yeah Yeah. so what can someone do if if they feel they're listening to us because I know what's going to happen off the back of the response I have every time I put your book up and yesterday's post people are like waiting for this podcast and I know that they're all going to start saying okay so what do I do do I just stop going to the gym a lot of people's initial response was okay do I need to stop doing HIIT training and what do I do now this is just another thing that's confused me what can people do to kind of bring that dominance down and start changing lifestyles just different things they can add into their lifestyle that are quite easy to change, I guess, at first. Yeah. So the first couple of things that you want to do is to notice if you're in sympathetic nervous system dominance. So if you feel that rushed kind of feeling, if you sort of get short of breath, if you notice you sigh a lot, Mm. if you feel that your heart races, sometimes you get adrenaline is the hormone behind anxious feelings, which is incredibly common, unfortunately, for too many people these days. So if you notice that happens, then it's nearly always adrenaline driving it. You're in that SNS dominance. So what leads us to make adrenaline, you want to decrease. So unfortunately, it does mean getting really honest with yourself about how much caffeine you're having. So it doesn't necessarily mean you need to stop, although a lot of people do benefit from taking a break, but certainly cutting right back, ideally one a day if you are going to have it. So cutting right back on the caffeine and being honest with yourself about that, exploring your perception of pressure and urgency and save it for when you really need it. So you want to save it for when there truly is an emergency, you know, if a friend has been injured and you've got to quickly get to the hospital to see them, that's urgent. But usually if we get 200 emails in overnight, it's very easy for us to go, oh my goodness, and panic about all 200 of them. In reality, maybe 10 of those 200 need our attention quickly. The other's you know, we can get to gradually across the day. So we tend to bang it all together. So really explore your perception of pressure and urgency and yeah, save it for when you really need it. And notice if what is stressing you out predominantly is what other people think of you and apply some of those strategies we talked about earlier. Yeah. And then the other part of it is you want to activate the green zone. You want to activate the other arm of the nervous system. So that means embracing some kind of breath focused practice. You don't have to give up things you love. Like if you love HIIT training, in fact, interval training is a better way to go than endurance stuff. You know, when you're raising your heart rate in the way humans always have, which is in short, sharp bursts, it's far more beneficial to our metabolism, to our muscle mass than, you know, running 20Ks, which is catabolic and breaks our muscles down. You want to think of energizing yourself, not depleting yourself. And so when you think of exercise, before you do it, you want to think, will this energize me or deplete me and be honest with yourself? Because I started to talk about the different stages of the stress response earlier. Mm. If people 
into the third stage of the stress response, which is when cortisol is very low, which is what we've come to call adrenal fatigue, then any intense kind of exercise is actually really damaging. They need to recover their cortisol levels. They need to recover their adrenal function before they can get back into that kind of exercise. And for some people, that healing happens rapidly. For others, it's a couple of months before yeah. the cortisol levels come back up to be in a good place. So, um, How do you know if you've got yourself into that third level? Because that's something that I think really happened to me. And at times I feel super energized now, but sometimes I'm like, actually, I think I have completely worn myself out. Like I'm always exhausted. How do you know if you're in that state of cortisol or in the others? So one of the good things cortisol does in the body is it acts as an anti-inflammatory. So when it goes low, you tend to feel quite stiff, particularly when you wake up in the morning, even though you're a young person, you sort of feel like you've aged quite quickly and you're very stiff on waking and that's the inflammation, you know, kicking in. Mm. And the fatigue is very deep. It's not just, oh, wow, I'm a bit tired today because I had a late night or I worked hard yesterday. It's a deep, unrelenting fatigue. You feel really tired in your bones. And when they get low cortisol, when they get this adrenal fatigue scenario happening, they worry that they're not going to feel like themselves ever again. They tend to feel a lot better if they can sleep in, but obviously – if we have a job, that's not practical because cortisol will rise a little bit across the morning. So if, if it is practical to not get up until eight or nine in the morning, you do tend to feel better and that can be really helpful in a recovery. But as I said, it's not practical for everyone. Yeah. And people with low cortisol tend to feel the best in the evening. So they start to get a lot more done. And I call them sleep trains. When a sleep train starts to come, the one just before 10 p.m., yeah. you want to get on it because for someone with adrenal fatigue, all humans have an adrenaline surge at around 11 p.m. It's part of our circadian rhythm. And someone with adrenal fatigue really feels that. And so if they haven't gone to bed and gone to sleep with the sleep train that tends to come around 10 p.m., they'll be wired and wide awake That's really still interesting. at 1 a.m. Yeah, I remember reading that in the book, actually, because I was living with my business partner before and we were both working as a startup and it was crazy. And I was a morning person. I love getting up in the morning and getting loads done. The amount of work I can do between seven and nine o'clock in the morning is crazy. But she was such an evening person because she'd get to that wired point and she would switch on at 11 o'clock and was just like, I can't miss this hour, Becky, because this is when I'm my most productive. But then she would be up until one o'clock in the morning and still get up early in the morning. I think at the time she didn't realise that that was just her missing that kind of moment to like go to sleep before that happens really really common so when someone has such low cortisol yeah thrashing themselves with intense exercise is not a good way to support their health at that point so the restorative practices are really key for those people for most people though there's no problem with going into sympathetic nervous system situation you know the fight or flight response you just don't want to live there yeah you want a lovely balanced nervous system where you spend time in the green zone, in the calm arm of the nervous system, so spending time there, as well as in the red zone. So being able to swing between them is really healthy and really important. It's just that a lot of people, because of how they live, their food choices, their drink choices, their thoughts, their perceptions, and the way that they exercise, they're stuck in that sympathetic nervous system place, and that's the problem. And you notice that once you do some restorative practices, you embrace breath work, then often the type of exercise you want to do starts to change exactly your experience Becky you want to look after your muscles for your strength for what they do to energy for what they do to metabolism they're so important 
And that's where things like Pilates and yoga are brilliant because you're resisting your own body weight and you're incorporating the breath work. So quite often the way you want to exercise, like just your natural instinct starts to change to to better support and nurture yourself Mm. rather than damage yourself. So yeah, a good question to ask. I'm all for, you know, people being fit and healthy and strong and flexible, of course, but I think we've got some really old models of exercise that are still out there where people think they've got to thrash themselves and it's it's really depleting. Yeah, and I think as well, you mentioned there about like listening to what kind of you enjoy and I think it was so interesting the other day I put a post up and I was like, you know, look, this is my body has changed and I'm seeing results. Like, do you want to know what I've been doing? And again, it was crazy. I think that in itself was crazy, the amount of people that were like, yeah, what have you been doing? What have you been doing? And I, my response was a few days later, I put up, well, actually, I've slowed down the pace. I'm training less, but those workouts are probably more intense than the five I was cramming in, but in a different way. But actually, the biggest thing that I've changed is that I'm listening to myself and I'm asking myself questions and I'm tuning into me. So it's crazy in itself, the amount of people that are asking me what I'm doing. When was the last time you asked yourself what you enjoyed doing or what felt good for you? And I think that is something that even again, might link really closely to the fact that we're all in a bit of a rush and we're all working so hard and we're so busy that we don't ever stop and ask ourselves anymore. Even just simply, why are we working out? Why are we being Mm. fit and healthy? Or why do we want to lose weight? Five years ago, when this all started, it was definitely for health. We wanted to do it to feel healthy and look good in a positive way. And I feel like some people haven't asked themselves the question in five years since Mm. this growth that actually things, you know, for me, when I sat down and really asked myself, I was like, okay, I'm not 21 anymore. I'm now nearly 29. And what do I want from my life? And what do I want from my body? And it was my answers were so different to what they were when I was 21. And that's one of the biggest thing I say with my clients is like, when was the last time you asked yourself what you wanted and how it felt and why? It's such a question. Yeah. And then I guess this leads us on really nicely talking about being in that kind of exhausted state to your newest book, which is you were just in the UK, weren't you? And I just missed you. Right. Oh, such a nightmare. Um, Yeah, but your newest book, so this is Exhausted to Energised. So I guess this was you bringing yourself from people who are in this exhausted state and now how to energize themselves, right? Yes, that's exactly right. So Exhausted to Energize, yes, has just come out in the UK thanks to Hay House. And obviously everything I share, Becky, is for educational purposes. It's not a prescription because I don't know. My focus is always on biochemistry and nutrition and I'm not qualified in exercise. I only talk about exercise from a perspective of the way I understand it relates to biochemistry. So I think it's important that that listeners understand that. Mm. But yeah, Exhausted to Energize is my latest book and it was born out of my desire to help people who would say when I'd say, how are you, they'd say, I'm so tired. And I think people mistakenly believe that it just must be how life has to be. They think that they're simply tired because they're busy. I've had 25-year-olds say to me that they're tired and it breaks my heart because if you think about it, when we don't have energy, everything is more difficult. It impacts the food we choose, whether you get off the couch and go for a walk or not, jobs that you would apply for, friends that you make, your self-talk and the way you speak to everyone you love in the world. So the ripple effect of fatigue across the quality of our life is so enormous. And for me, it's the true currency of health. For too long, it's been weight. You know, people assess themselves based on what they weigh. And it's our energy that actually allows us to have an extraordinary quality of life. And I think it's a real reflection of our inner health. But when people wake up in the morning and they're constantly tired, most people just get a coffee. They don't actually do anything about why their body is creating this fatigued feeling inside of them. So I see energy like a bank account and 
we make decisions, tiny little decisions all day, every day with the food choices, our drink choices, the thoughts that we think, the actions we take. And those thoughts, foods and drinks are either deposits into our energy bank account or their withdrawals from that account. And sadly, the way a lot of people live these days is that they constantly just make withdrawals from their energy bank account with their food and drink choices and the thoughts that they think. And if you always withdraw from that bank account, you end up living in overdraft. And I guess to keep the analogy going, you then pay interest on that overdraft. The interest is essentially health consequences. I see the body as our best friends. Not, I think a lot of women feel like their body just betrays them. It doesn't behave. It doesn't respond to all their efforts in the way that they want it to. Whereas I think the body doesn't have a voice. It just gives us symptoms to let us know whether it's happy or not with yeah. our choices and anything that gives us frustration or makes us sad is just feedback about our choices. And if there is parts of our body or even energy and it makes us sad or frustrates us, we wonder how it can be that way. I think those symptoms are just messengers asking us to eat, drink, move, think, breathe, believe, or perceive in a new way. So mm -hmm. if we can see them as gifts, including lousy energy, if you can see it as a gift, just trying to wake us up to get us to make some new choices, you know when you're on the right track because the symptoms start to be resolved or they certainly improve. And what always blows me away is that what might begin for someone as a food journey or an exercise journey or a, they're trying to work on changing their self-perception, for example, it always ends up way bigger and more powerful than they could ever have imagined when they yeah. really start to use their extraordinary body as a gift and treat it as the absolute miracle that it is. Yeah, no, and I think that's it's all a perception thing, isn't it? Of like, again, coming back to if you love yourself enough to do that and nourish your body and just talking about nourishing and I mean, there's so many things we could talk to you about but just going back finally to your book I guess it's laid out isn't it to your three pillar approach and it's more time getting us out of this state of exhaustion and stress to be able to live a more fulfilled life so what key things can someone take away now or expect from that book in terms of being able to live a more fulfilled and energetic life the book is designed to help shift people's focus to making choices that help them to cultivate better energy. And fascinatingly, when I travel, I meet people from all walks of life and I actually don't weigh anyone. I have a I have an online course, a nine-week online course called Women Weight Loss for Women. But yeah. what I teach is that the shift is back to health, cultivating better health and energy. And then weight loss is inevitable when we yeah. do that if that human body would benefit from that. So what fascinates me is that when people read Exhausted to Energize, they'll often say, I was so sick of feeling so tired and I simply shifted my focus to eating and thinking and all my choices were about having better energy. Yeah. And if they were a human body that benefited from less body fat, then they'd say to me, and I can't believe that I've lost weight. Whereas other people, they might have really low energy and they're way too skinny. They've got no muscle mass. They're really, really skinny. Then they would notice that they felt stronger as well as getting better energy. So the book explains you know, what happens on the inside of our body to get better energy nutritionally, what's needed, the different nutrients that are essential for our bodies to actually produce great levels of energy and then all the emotional stuff like, you know, joy, for example. A lot of people are always in the pursuit of things, you know, wanting better this, more this, and that's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that, but often people do that at the expense of not noticing all the gifts in their life right now. So one of the messages as well in the more emotions part of the book is to let yourself have what you already have. Because when you talk to people who are dying and you ask them what they're going to miss the most in the world, they tell you the most ordinary things. They'll tell you yeah. that they're going to miss 
their partner's face or the feeling of their dog's fur under their fingertips or the smell of a freshly cut lemon or the night sky. And we have all of that right now. So why not let yourself have what you already have because that's what joy is all about and joy gives us an irreplaceable depth of energy. So it touches on everything from biochemistry to nutrition to those emotional sorts of things. No, it's amazing. And I have to say, like, honestly, I'm obsessed with everything that you do because I think it's so incredible to have someone come from bringing both worlds together of science and also that spiritual, like, mindset side of things that isn't too like woo woo and it's just real you know it seems to me like the moral kind of of your story is that once you stop chasing what you're so crazily chasing all your life and chase other things that will make you feel good that byproduct of what you were originally chasing which is obviously the healthier weight will happen and I think that's what's so beautiful about it is that it's almost like let's direct our focus and start looking at other things so that we feel good and live well and live a happy joyful life and then all of a sudden all the things that you were chasing when you were in that obsessed state they chase you eventually I guess that's what I'm getting from all of your work which is amazing so thank you so much I mean I could talk to you all day thank you (laughs) I will let you go but thank you so much and Everything of Libby's will be found in the bio below of this podcast. Thank you so much, thank Becky, you and so thank much. you so much for your kind words. And oh yeah, God, no, and, you're so welcome. Your story is very inspiring too. So thank yeah, you. thank you so much for sharing and inspiring others. It's yeah. wonderful. Thank you so much, and hopefully I'll speak to you soon. That'll be gorgeous. Have Let's stay one, in touch. Yeah, thank definitely. You. Have a Love. lovely, lovely day. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Alternatively Healthy Wellness Podcast Series by Becky Rabin. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Please feel free to leave your comments and feedback below and don't forget to give us a lovely little rating. For more information on our podcasts, other episodes and to find out more about what we do, please visit www.alternativelyhealthy.co.uk And remember, shaping the healthiest version of you means looking purely at you. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. So, Robert, tell the people, what's a pretendian? It's just what it sounds like, Angel. A pretend Indian. Someone who fakes being one of us? Someone who impersonates a native. We're talking about real scammers and con artists. There are pretendians teaching at universities, pretendians running governments, pretendians in Hollywood. On our new podcast, Pretendians, we'll tell you the incredible story of these jaw-dropping frauds. Who are they? Why do they do it? And how the heck do they keep getting away with it? Listen to Pretendians on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.